56. So you'll find it on page 1009 in here. Um, if you want to follow in there, that might be helpful as Dan is speaking. Um, I'll read it. Let's follow through. Uh, and for some of us, this story might be quite familiar. Um, but let me encourage each of us, and that I pray that God would just maybe reveal something different to a story that we might feel we know quite well. Um, so it's Mark 6, verses 32 to 56. So they, that is Jesus and his disciples, so they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. But he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, that his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away, so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then Jesus told them to make all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida where he dismissed the crowd, while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed. But they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout the whole region and carried those who were ill on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed those who were ill in the marketplaces. They begged him 
and let them touch even the edge of his cloak. And all who touched it were healed. We've been looking for this <laughs> for the last hour to open the windows. So, Cecil there, Hillary. There we go. No one noticed. Um, my name's Dan. I'm going to be um, preaching from God's Word to us today. So, it's a pleasure to be able to do that and a real privilege. Um, I'm just going to pray um, as we delve into this passage. Um, Father God, thank you so much for your Word. We thank you that it um, is true. Lord, when so much in this world is um, taught to be true, or shared to be true, but actually, Lord, the only ultimate truth is found in your word. And we're thankful that we have it, that we have 40 of them in front of us that we're able to open and read. Lord, I pray that we would treasure your word, that we would enjoy being fed by it, and that we would be challenged by it, and that we'd be excited um, by what you are able to do in and through it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well... Um, we're coming to, I was going to say the halfway point, we're not at the halfway point, but we're, we're getting towards the halfway point in our sermon series in the Gospel of Mark. And they're all available on the website if you want to catch up. Um, may have about 10 to catch up, but you're welcome to have a listen to them, all available on the website. Um, and this week, um, we are looking at a familiar passage of the, the feeding of the 5,000. Um, I'm excited to, to be able to share what the Lord has been um, speaking to me about over the last couple of weeks as I've been preparing for this. It just made me think about how um, the church, and we praise the Lord for this, the church has been at the forefront of social justice movements, hasn't it, throughout history. We see the, the abolishment of slavery was down to a Christian. Praise the Lord for that. Think about schools. We think about education. We even think about, and this excited me, football. Football teams are founded upon church youth groups. I was an A-level PE teacher, so that was, that was on the curriculum. How exciting is that? Not that it's a socialist movement necessarily, but it's exciting, isn't it? Jesus loves football. Um, yeah, teamwork. We didn't share that on Friday night, did we? Anyway, I could talk about football all day. But, but it has been wonderful that the church has been at the forefront of social justice movements. And when I talk about social justice, I mean in terms of um, distribution of wealth, opportunities and privileges that we have within society. And the church has been fighting for people's rights. But then, since the early 20th century, a variety of Christian groups began to combine the gospel with social justice. What began to happen is that social justice became the gospel that some churches preached and neglected the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ. They came as a man, fully God and fully man, live a perfect life to die for our sins, to rise again, to be ascended in heaven, the gospel that was pushed was social justice, doing good things. And then in response, some gospel-centered churches went to the other extreme and were 100% gospel and lack of care for others. And so what is it? Does it have to be one without the other? Can it be both? How do we get the balance right? Well, I think in this passage we see yet again, Jesus gives us, as ever, a great example that we can follow. So I hope that this is helpful for us, especially as we are a church that delights in blessing this community. We've got the cafe. We've got all these wonderful ministries. 
But the heart behind them and the heart behind each of them is wanting to do these good things because we love Jesus and we want to share the gospel with people. So hopefully we'll see that justified today. So I want to encourage us in that. So firstly, um, as followers of Jesus, we can first and foremost care for people's spiritual needs. I think the important part here is care. We need to care. So we, um, Savannah kind of did a nice summary for me there, so I'll do even a shorter summary there earlier. But the disciples have returned from their missions trip, their first missions trip, where they've um, been uh, casting out demons, healing people, uh, preaching the gospel. And they've come back, and what's the first thing they want to do is they want to debrief with Jesus, don't they? They want to spend some time with him. They want to share the good, the bad, and ugly of their time out, their first time let loose on society. And then what happens? This crowd gathers. And 5,000 people, 5,000 men, so they estimate between fifteen to 20,000 people. That's a huge gathering, isn't it? They go off to a desolate place. Jesus wants to speak with them. They want to speak with Jesus. And then they're met with this crowd. They won't, they won't let them go. They just want to be around Jesus and the disciples. How do you think the disciples were feeling at that point? Overwhelmed? A bit like, oh, can you imagine Peter, the feistiest disciple of them all? I think he would have had a few words to say, wouldn't he? But Jesus doesn't get annoyed. shows them the heart that he wants followers, his followers to have. He has compassion. That means his heart went out for these people. His heart broke for them. But what's the, what, what is the reason that his heart breaks for them, first and foremost? He says this, doesn't he? Because they were like a sheep without shepherds, without a shepherd. That's why his heart, first and foremost, broke for them, because they were like a sheep without shepherd. And we know that shepherd and sheep is a common um, terminology used in the Bible, and we see it in the New Testament, Jesus calls himself the good shepherd, which we'll see in a moment. But, but also in the Old Testament, we see God talks about the shepherds being the leaders of Israel. To, to look after the people of Israel, the sheep. And if we know anything about sheep, if anyone's ever gone on any walks in the countryside, you can often find one in a cattle grid. Because they've just walked over one thinking it's going to be fine when actually the hooves just fall through. I picked out many on my walks in, in, the, in, the, in the countryside. They are stupid in the nicest possible way. They are, aren't they? Cute but stupid. I was called that once. Um, they're one of the stupidest animals out there. And if they're left to their own devices, they will get lost, they will get hurt, or even worse. And the Jewish leaders at the time, the religious leaders, were there to spiritually um, feed them. and They weren't doing a very good job. They weren't doing a very good job. And then we see some 600 years earlier in Ezekiel's time when uh, the prophet, uh, God speaks to the prophet Ezekiel. He turned, well, well, we'll look at it in a moment. But in chapter 34, it's a really, really strong passage that condemns the shepherds of Israel, God's people. They have been, it says this in summary, that the leaders have lost the sheep. They're helpless. They're without guidance. They're malnourished. They're lacking protection. They're completely spiritually lost. They've been led astray by their leaders. And this is what Jesus looks out on this crowd, and he's looking at this crowd, and he sees a sheep without a shepherd. People 
that need him. People that are spiritually lost, spiritually without guidance, malnourished, and lacking protection. And then, in the rest of Ezekiel, um, chapter 34, verse 11, it says this, the difference between the shepherd that God will send says this, for this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after this scattered flock, when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from the places where they are scattered on the day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out of the nations and gather them from countries and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines, in all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. They will lie down good grazing land it will be rich uh, will feed in a rich pasture pasture on the mountains of israel that's what god promises his people he is going to in verse 23 i will place over them one shepherd my servant david and he will tend to them and he will tend them to be their shepherd that's God saying, Jesus, I'm going to send someone who's going to come, who's going to be the shepherd king, the promised shepherd king, who is going to protect, who's going to feed his people, he's going to give them guidance, he's going to help them, he's going to make sure they're not lost. And that shepherd, that good shepherd, is Jesus. John chapter 10, Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. And what does the good shepherd do? He lays down his life for his sheep. He knows his sheep, and his sheep know him. And he looks out on this crowd. And he sees a people desperately in need of him that don't know him. And his heart breaks with a compassion for them. His heart is moved. His heart is stirred. Jesus' compassion is first and foremost because they are a people without a shepherd in need of him to be the good shepherd to guide them and to care for them. Can I ask? And this has been something that is. Um, been on my mind and I've been asking myself this week is when we look at people do we see that their greatest need is their spiritual need does our heart go out to them do we look at the people around in our community and say they are like a sheep without a shepherd they need Jesus they need Jesus I confess that my heart doesn't always see them as lost helpless without guidance or malnourished lacking protection my heart doesn't always go out to them but how do we cultivate this because we want a compassion like jesus don't we We want to have a heart like jesus that breaks for the loss that people that don't know him and it's not something that we can fake it's not something that we can just pretend but it's it's something that we can ask the lord to help us with to give us a burden and a heart for the loss. think about this christmas Give us a heart and a burden to invite people to some of our Christmas events where they will hear the gospel. Who might that be? Let's pray for those people intentionally, and he will give you a burden for them. One of the professors on the course that I did a few years ago, um, a guy called John Hewitt, he talked about this, and he talked about how do we, um, what are our barriers to seeing people's spiritual needs and getting over them? And he talks about five things that we need to break. We need to break the barrier of fear. Meaning, he talks about how we often fear man more than we fear God. And often it's the fear of a response, of a rejection when we ask someone to come to something or we share the gospel in some way. 
We have a fear of what could happen. He talks about needing to have a right fear of God and fearing God first and foremost in that healthy way that brings us to a place where we, we want to share the good news of Jesus Christ because we know it doesn't matter what people think about us. What's more important is they hear the good news of Jesus Christ. He talks about breaking the barrier of ignorance. And here he, he says, he talks about recognizing that it's God that uses ordinary people like you and me sitting here, inviting people to events or just doing life with people and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with them that bring hope to people. Sometimes we think we're not adequate enough, we're not good enough to be able to do it. Breaking the barrier of apathy, even caring for people. And he says here, he says, spend time with lost people. Make sure you get that in your diary. Spend time with people that don't know Jesus. You'll get a heart for them. He says, break the barrier of introspection, which means stop focusing on yourself and focus on Christ and what you see in scriptures about his heart and his compassion for people. He talks about breaking the barrier of busyness, and this being the, probably the number one thing that we, in our society that we struggle with is being, our time being full. He says, make time for people in our schedules. Is there one particular barrier that maybe the Lord is speaking to you about now? Is it fear, ignorance, apathy, introspection, busyness? I mean, I can probably say all five at times, but is there one particularly that you think, Lord, please, please help me in this area? Let me have a right fear for you rather than a fear of man. Let me recognize that you use me, an ordinary person, to share your good news. Let me care for people and spend time with lost people. Let me focus on you, Lord, rather than on myself. Let me make time in my schedule for people. So we see, first and foremost, we are to care for people's spiritual needs, just like Jesus. But, but secondly, we can also care for people's physical needs. It doesn't have to be one or the other. See, um, in Matthew, Jesus talks about um, followers of his will feed the hungry, give water to the thirsty, give rest to a stranger and clothe the naked and care for the sick, visit prisoners. We do also have to be clear here that, and something that maybe we can, um, as Christians, make a mistake on is that there is no social gospel. There is no social gospel. Meeting someone's physical needs and circumstances isn't going to save them. We need to recognize that, that it is only the good news of Jesus Christ and him transforming them that can do that. But, but, we never see Jesus in Scripture not caring for the whole person, do we? He knows better than anyone else their need for him, and yet he cares to the nth degree, doesn't he, for them? Look at this. So in, the, in our passage today, we see that the disciples are concerned for the people, want to send them away so they can get some food. We said there's probably fifteen to 20,000 people, including um, women and children as well, which makes his response even more crazy when Jesus says in verse 37, you give them something to eat. He knows he's about to feed them. He knows he's going to do it. So Jesus cares for the whole person. He cares for their spiritual need, but he cares for their physical need at that time as well. So how do we do this well? How do we make sure that we seek to meet people's physical needs without turning it into a social gospel? Because we need to care for their needs. We do. How do we make sure that we don't turn people into projects? Maybe that's something that we struggle with is... When we are going out on mission to, to meet people and befriending people, sometimes people can become a project to share the gospel with. We need to care for the whole person, don't we? We need to take time to, to learn to get to know them. How do we make sure that our cafe doesn't just become a good thing that we do, 
but it becomes this, uh, becomes this beacon of light that we want it to be and that it is and we want it to continue to be. Everything's attention, isn't it, it seems, in the Christian life. How do we make sure we get that balance right? Well, something that was helpful was a couple of weeks ago, I was on a Zoom call with a few other people um, in the city that are um, church leaders in other areas of the city. And there was a guy from Edinburgh um, who helps run a church up there in a really challenging community area. And he says that basically their, their thing is that a lot of people come into them because they want healing, they want their physical needs dealt with. And so... He was talking about how three things they've learned over the last 15 years of doing ministry in that sort of area, of how do they make sure that they don't just become this um, uh, place to come because they know that you're just going to get your physical needs met and not want Jesus. Does that make sense? So it's that, that they try and they do these three things. Number one is they keep the gospel central to all that they do. All that they do. So we, keep, we should keep the gospel central to all that we do. He talks about how the gospel is the answer to the main issue. But it is also the answer, the answer to the single most important thing that, that we ever have to give to anybody. And it's far better than anything else that we can offer. We have to trust that the gospel is far better than anything else that we can offer. So when they go into their meetings, all their ministries that they do, they focus on keeping the gospel the central to everything that they do. Yes, I want to help you. I want to love you and I want to care for you. But there's something even more important than that is Jesus Christ died for your sins. You need to know him. But we're going to care for you. We are going to care for you, but, but we're going to keep the gospel central to all that we do. And I was struck by something um, Don Carson said um, on this matter. He talks about um, how do we make sure that we get the tension between uh, the gospel and social justice right. He says this. The gospel, hopefully you can see, oh, it's very small, but the gospel um, is the good news of what God has done, especially in Christ Jesus, especially in his cross and resurrection. But it is not what we do. But because it's good news, it is to be proclaimed. Because it's powerful, it not only reconciles us to God, but it transforms us. And that necessarily shapes our behavior, priorities, values, relationships with people, and much more. These are things that are not optional extras for the extremely sanctified, but they are entailments of the gospel. To preach moral duty without the underlying power of the gospel is moralism. That is both pathetic and powerless. To, to preach a watered-down gospel at which tips us into the kingdom to be followed by discipleship and deeds of mercy is an anemic shadow of the robust gospel of the Bible. To preach the gospel and social justice as equivalent demands is to misunderstand how the Bible hangs together. Basically, the good news of Jesus transforms us so much so that we cannot but want to go and help people. We cannot keep the gospel to ourselves and not out of the overflow of our hearts go and love others and seek to meet their needs in some way. We keep the gospel to ourselves. If it's just something that's in us, it is a watered-down gospel. We see this play out, don't we, probably in discipleship or when we are evangelizing to people, seeking them for, for, for Christ. People are unlikely to hear the good news of Jesus Christ unless we show it in our love for them. The last few weeks I've been getting to read the Bible with a, with a gentleman who comes into the cafe and has some physical needs that he would like met. And I shared, first and foremost, all I've got to offer you is Jesus. All I've got to offer you is Jesus. And that is right on the one hand. 
But this got me thinking, actually, actually, I, I need to ask what his needs are. I need to care for what his needs are. It's led, as I did that and was able to help him out two weeks ago, there is a deeper relationship. There is more willingness to hear the good news as we read the Bible by taking a little bit of time to find out what his needs are. The gospel has to be central to all that we do. Yes, it is Jesus. Yes, it is him. Yes, it is the good news of Jesus Christ that we have to keep central to everything we do. Secondly, we also have to view poverty and need more holistically than this gentleman was talking about. View poverty and need more holistically. In the West, we view poverty and general need that people have in terms of lack of resources, lack of money, and all those sorts of things. But actually, I think we need to view poverty through the eyes of the gospel. It talks about how before the fall, sin, before sin was in the world, we were in perfect relationship with God. Spiritually, we were sorted. Relationships between us were perfect. Physically, there was no suffering. And then sin comes into the world, and what happens? Our spiritual relationship with God is broken, number one. We're separated from him. Relationally, there are problems between, in, in relationships, aren't there? We see it throughout the world. And there's physical suffering. So they talked about making sure that we see everybody through that gospel lens. Not just people that may be economically not well off, but everybody is impoverished. Whether it's the the wealthy businessman who doesn't speak well to his wife, they are relationally impoverished. Whether it's the drug addict fighting to get his next fix on the street, they are impoverished through the guise of the gospel. So just thinking about as we we seek to reach the lost in our communities, we seek to reach the lost in our own communities, in our own neighbourhoods, And as we bring people to our events this Christmas, every single one of them is in the same position. They don't know Jesus. They're impoverished. And we get to see everybody through that same lens, rich or poor, whatever it may be. Thirdly, they talked about really listening to people's actual needs. This gentleman was talking about how they'd had some problems where they'd gone and um, uh, they helped out this person who was um, an ex-drug addict and he was just, um, they went into his house while he was away to re-kit his house out and redecorate. Had a team over from the States to come and do it and they spent thousands of pounds doing it and his house was completely tidied, replastered everything. And he got back and the guy was like, how dare you do that? I liked how my bed was just over there. I liked sleeping on the sofa. I liked how my walls were messy. And they were really hurt and upset. Both parties were really hurt and upset. And they said that they'd learned that, that we really need to listen to actual people's needs, what they feel their needs are. Often we can think, I know what their problem is. I'm going to go and solve it. I can help you. But do we take the time to really listen to what their perceived needs are and what they're feeling? Three really helpful things that have stuck with me. Keep the gospel central to all that we do. View poverty more holistically and really listen to people and their actual needs. And we will keep that tension of making sure it's the gospel and the spiritual need first and foremost, but caring for people well within their physical needs. And then thirdly, just very quickly, the last couple. 
Um, as followers of Jesus, we can do all that we can do to meet people's needs. The disciples are kind of a bit out of their depth here, aren't they? Jesus, um, he, he tells them, you go and give them something to eat. And they said to him, look, that will take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? Basically, they're saying, look, this does not make any financial sense to do this. How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they had five loaves and two fish. As we know from the Gospel of John, basically, it's a young boy, it's a, a mother has made a packed lunch for her son, and that's all they've got. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. They sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. The disciples did what they could do. They did what they were told, and they did what they could do. All they could do was go and gather the food and then go give it to Jesus. They could go and follow what he said by sitting them down in fifties and hundreds. Sometimes we are not going to be able to solve all the problems, people's problems. We just obey what he's called us to do. We care for their physical needs. We do what we can do. But ultimately, we have to trust and let Jesus do what only he can do. Maybe that's the hardest thing for us to do, is to trust and let Jesus do all he can do. If you're anything like me, I like to fix people's problems. I like to vet there and fix people's problems. But in reality, often God lets problems invade our lives and other people's lives, things that are far beyond our abilities to resource and to handle because he wants us to look to him and focus on him and let him be the one that gets all the glory. What does he do? takes the loaves and the two fish. He looks up to heaven. He gives thanks and broke, broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people, divided two, among, two fish among all of them, and look what happens. They all ate and were satisfied. Warren Weasby says, Jesus looks at the people's situation not as a problem but as an opportunity to trust the Father and glorify his name. Jesus looks at this at people's situation not as a problem, but as an opportunity to trust the Father and glorify his name. We can't solve everybody's problems. But what we can do is we pray to the Lord and ask him to work. We can see it as an opportunity to trust that his name will be glorified and made great through whatever it is. And I love this. They're in a desolate place, and it becomes a place of plenty. Just as God met Israel um, when they, um, in the wilderness, when he brought them out of Egypt with manna and quail through Moses, now we have the good shepherd, the bread of life that's here, that is willing to feed his people abundantly. And what happens? They're all satisfied. No one leaves hungry. His compassion is overflowing. His provision is all satisfying. He provides out in that desolate place for his glory his good guys jesus shows his love for you that he came down to rescue from a desolate place we were all in that wilderness place of being spiritually dead he offers a way out for us for our sins to be paid for to be forgiven for us to be able to turn back to god and be back in perfect relationship with him and he showed that love on the cross he's the hero of our stories the hero of the bible he is our god he is our rescuer he is our shepherd he is our savior he is our jesus but maybe there's not been a day in your life that you have bowed down to your good shepherd, Jesus. Let him lead you. Let him guide you. Let him nourish you. Let him feed you. Let him protect you. 
This is Isaiah 40 says. I love this. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms he, and carries them close to his heart. And he gently leads those that have the young. Can I say, if there's a day in your life that you haven't given your life to Jesus, let him gather you, let him carry you, let him care for you. And if you do know and love Jesus, are you trusting that he's able to work in all situations for you and for the good of others, those that know him? I'd like us to finish just with a moment, just round tables. And um, I, I really want us to encourage one another because often we don't get an opportunity at the end of our gatherings as long as we would like to, to spend that time encouraging one another, which I would encourage you to stay behind and do that. But some people have to shoot off, and that's fine. But I just want to give us five minutes now to share an event where you've seen Jesus at work where you could not, where you were at the end of your tether and you really needed Jesus to do something, and he delivered. A situation where maybe you've been caring for somebody, a situation um, that is just completely out of your control and you just felt completely out of your depth, and yet Jesus filled that gap and met you. So it's just for five minutes. We'll have some music on the background, Ben, if that's all right. Um, and then we'll sing a final song just for five minutes around your tables. Just encourage one another that Jesus does work. His name is glorified when we, when we let him work in a situation or a problem that is too big for us. Let's have a chat around the tables for a few minutes.